the ghost of Mary Alice Young is in your apartment. <laughs> That's how I'm going to start this. Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to We Know What You Did. It makes us sick. <gasps> We're going to Summer Moran. <sighs> you're slaying, you're slaying, you're eating, you're eating, you're eating. That's you're awesome. slaying. Okay. Anyway, Summer, what, how was your week? What was your moment of desperation this week? <sighs> I got, I did a bad thing. I, 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 I got high. <laughs> I got high for the first time oh, no. and I didn't, I didn't smoke the way, you know, the average bear smokes. Um, I indulged in a little edible, a little lollipop. And here's the thing. The, the box said 20 milligrams. And now I know that that's a lot. I know I can't handle that much. So I cut a little piece of the lollipop off, but lollipops are hard to cut. So I just waited until there was a little bit left on the stick and mm -hmm. then I didn't eat the whole thing. Now in my mind, I thought, okay, so I've probably had about 12 to 15 milligrams. Christy, I would not be here today if I had finished that lollipop. I have never experienced anything so horrible in my entire life. I would not wish that on my worst enemy. I will never get high again. My moment of desperation was when it hit. Now, I realized I was high because I went to the bathroom and for a minute I thought, if I sit down to like go to the bathroom, is something going to reach up and grab me? Oh my and then I thought, is this an actual fear or am I afraid of this because I'm high? Oh, I must be high. And so I opted not to go to the bathroom at all and I just went to bed. And that's when things got exponentially worse um, because suddenly all of my faculties were gone. I couldn't think straight. I could barely see anything. It was also dark. It was like 11 o'clock at night. And I had no control over like my motor skills. So I was, I just felt like I was endlessly floating and then shaking and like my entire body was tingling. Time disappeared. There, there's no such thing as time when you're high. And I kept checking my phone to see how many minutes had passed, thinking, okay, this is going to be over in like maybe a half hour or an hour. And every time I thought it had been like 20 minutes, it had been two. It was the worst experience of my life. So my moment of desperation in that whole event was <laughs> calling my mom and saying, mommy, I'm high. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> and I kept her on the phone for about five and a half minutes. And I'm like staring into my air conditioner. It's blowing on my face. I'm like, okay, you know what? This is okay. I'm, I'm regaining some sense of control. No, absolutely not. It got so much worse. I didn't think it could get any worse, but I just suffered. And I went to go lay down on my couch and I'm looking around the room and I kept having to ask myself if I was in my living room or my bedroom. Like I didn't know where I was. I, I, it, it's just... It was the worst experience of my entire life. I would never 
want anyone else to suffer that way. Summer, I just want to thank you for your commitment for doing all these crazy things <laughs> to have stories for our desperation segment each week. That's you insane. got it. Anytime. Inspiring. Wait until next week when I start quaaludes. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> Summer, what drugs did you try this? <laughs> oh gosh, no, and I, I mean, I feel like it was such a missed opportunity because now that I've taken too much, I don't think I'll ever try anything again, even if it's just like five or 10 milligrams. Now that I've seen the worst of it, I'm not going to trust anything that could potentially be bad. That's probably for the best. <sighs> yeah. There's at least I did it. Food. It's just, it, it wasn't even cool. Like I didn't even feel like a cool kid. I That's was writhing on my couch. No, weed is weed is a weird. <laughs> Thank you, Dare. <laughs> <laughs> like I just I don't know. I've never tried I've never like wanted to try it. I just don't get it because people just kind of like zone out. Well, yeah, and I specifically yeah. wanted it to like focus and for meditation because when I lie down and meditate, yeah. I cannot get the thoughts to stop coming in. And so I kept trying to lay there like with my eyes closed and I felt like I was on another planet. <laughs> I was like, how does anybody enjoy this? No, that sounds absolutely horrendous. It I'm sorry to go through that, but thank you for your, thank you for your, uh, I lost it. You think I, I was on weed. <laughs> She's on weed today. <laughs> Um, no, I, I, if there's one thing I do, it's commit to the bit. So why don't you make me feel a little bit better and tell me about your moment of desperation this week? So my moment of desperation, honestly, I've had a pretty boring week. I just went to my, my job and came home in the, we recorded our last episode a little late. So in the three days since we recorded and I had one story from this previous evening that I cannot, um, have recorded that I just told summer before we hit record. Um, so in, instead I'm going to use this time to call out some of our friends somewhere because in our first episode, we named people who we thought would be listening. <laughs> yes, we did. We thought we'd only have three listeners. We have actually a lot more than that. So we're more successful without these people, but I want to specifically call out Liz, Hannah, and Annette. Three people who I really thought would listen. And I know they didn't because they would have said something about their call out because I didn't tell them anything. I know it. And I, I was sitting next to Liz on my couch a couple days before I started to feel my life end. And I said, have you listened to the podcast? And she said, no. I'm sick. We have to drop all these people. So Liz... <laughs> Annette and Hannah, welcome to your tape. And I know you know you're not even gonna hear this. You're not gonna hear this, and they're not even gonna know about this until months later when this podcast is making millions of dollars, and they're like, Oh yeah, I love your podcast. And they're like, Wow, no wonder they haven't been returning my calls in six months. I mean, I can't really blame Hannah. She has a son. Her dog. Yeah, her son. <laughs> so she, she obviously can't listen to certain explicit material with her son dog in the room because it would be inappropriate for a dog of his age. 
<laughs> Liz is a nurse, I guess. So fine. She has off weird hours, but Annette has no excuse. <laughs> she works from home. She has no excuse. Annette, prepare to die. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd like to shout out to our day one listener, Madison De La Garza, top billing star of Desperate Housewives. If she can listen to this podcast, so can our best friends. Yeah, Madison Slade, everybody else did the opposite of that. They unslayed. What do the gays on Twitter say now? They're allergic to serving. I did not know that was a thing. I've never seen them say that when a celebrity like looks bad. They're like, she's allergic to serving. <laughs> oh, my God. <sighs> so that's my moment. Yeah, you should. So that's my moment of desperation this week. Liz, Hannah, and Annette. Oh, my goodness. So get on the ball, ladies. You heard her. Yeah. Or did they? Welcome to the episode. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the episode. Let's get into the episode. This is the end of the mixtape. The end of the mixtape. <laughs> we This week we're on episode three, season one. Yeah, that made sense. Can I say something? Yes. This episode is titled Pretty Little Picture. Now, two things about this. First of all, can we go back to naming episodes? I feel like we don't see this anymore. It's really just like, because we're on streaming mostly, episode one through episode eight or episode 12, like what have you. One show that I'm pretty sure does it is Never Have I Ever because All everything is- definitely do it. No, they don't. Yes, they do. You just no, don't- No, they know. don't. You're lying. Yes, they do. You sit on a throne of lies. No, I they do not. You just don't pay attention. I don't pay- <laughs> I Give don't pay attention. What show? Give me a show. Wednesday. I, I haven't seen that one. Okay. Wednesday. Wednesday. <laughs> I'm looking this up at on IMDb. I know that Never Have I Ever does it. They all do it, Summer. They don't do it. Yes, they do. I can't believe we're debating this right now. Wednesday. First episode is called Wednesday's Child is Full of Woe. Episode two is called Woe is the Loneliest Number. Episode three is called Friend or Woe. <laughs> Friend or Woe is crazy. It's called You Reap What You Woe. <laughs> Episode six is called Quid Pro Woe. Episode seven is called If You Don't Woe Me By Now. And episode eight is called A Murder of Woes. So yeah, Summer, they still do that. Okay, Agree to disagree. Can I give you another show? Sure. What I'm about... still going to be right. Um, Why are you booing me? I'm right. <laughs> um, uh, what's another show? I forget every show I've ever seen. Oh, how about Sex Education? Sex Education. That might be different because it's British, though. They all... No episode, no show is going to call something episode what? Okay, I stand corrected on sex education. These are episode one, episode two, episode three. But that could be an aesthetic. And there it is. That could there be it is. British. What about manifest? Looking at manifest. Yeah, look at, look at manifest. Touch and go, episode one, season four. Episode two, all call. 
Episode three, high flight. Episode four, go around. Okay, those are stupid names, though. They are stupid. This one's cool. Full upright and locked position. They're a little lazy. They're a little lazy. They're lazy. There's no whimsy. There's no creative spirit. There's no juice to it. I think Wednesday had some juicy ones. Everything was woe. Well, they do that. A play on woads, if you will. Yeah. I thought the recap was excellent, but again, there was no music. Yeah, right? After you notice, it really stands out. Yeah. Um, We also started out with Mary Alice being incarcerated. Did you notice that? Did you say incarcerated? (laughs) (laughs) I meant and wrote down incinerated. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Mary Alice behind bars. Um, Yeah, I wrote that she was a jump scare. I thought that was a jump scare. I, I guess I just forgot that that shot was in there, but it made me a little uncomfy. I've never noticed that. And I think because I've never watched this week by week. Yeah. Every single time I've ever watched this show, I probably watched the first three episodes like back to back. So by that time I was like kind of half paying attention, but I was like shook (laughs) feeling ill. I was shook at seeing her being incinerated. Yeah. I aim to forget that. And then right after she gets incinerated, she goes into her little um, monologue about Brie and how she's like, I thought her life was perfect. And now I see from beyond the grave. Yeah, it's just like that. The transatlantic (laughs) accent. (laughs) They all have transatlantic accents in my mind. (laughs) Oh, no, Bongo. You ate Susan's earring again. Bad dog. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Brie and her terrible husband. Why not they're going to get into the box? <laughs> um, so Rex is still sleeping on the couch, and he doesn't even care about um, leaving his kids traumatized because of their parents getting a divorce. Rex really said, let them find me on the couch. I don't care anymore. Those were his words. This man. It's not even that he doesn't like his wife. It's that he hates his whole family. (laughs) Rex was like, I never wanted kids. It was really unbelievable. Like, Brie is doing a good thing by hiding this from her children. Like, she doesn't want them to know yet until it's settled. And he really said, let them find (laughs) This woman is setting her alarm. She's going out of her way. To set her alarm at like 3 a.m. so he can get into bed before before they wake up. And he has the audacity. If there's, if there's one alive, thing they have, <laughs> it's the audacity. And, you know, this really makes me realize that, like, Rex is the opposite of Tom in that respect. Mm-hmm. Because Tom even though he's always away, he's like always thinking about kids, like having yeah. kids, his own. Oh, love Tom Scavo now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get but to him. Rex really said, I hate those teenagers. <laughs> he, he said, I want me out. He wants to leave his whole family. He wants to go out for milk and never return. And he will. He will. And then Brie, he was like, 
I read enough of this. And then he goes up to the bed and then Brie um, clips the, the mattress so it has spikes so he's uncomfortable. Yeah, my note for that scene was, she is so clever for real. I said she deserves a doctorate's degree for just being smart. I also don't understand. They live in a huge house. Why don't they have a guest room? Yeah, you're right. That could absolutely be like a five, a four bedroom house easily. Okay. Um, so my next note is just newspapers. Newspapers? Yes. Oh, I know what this was. So it was just like a little thing I never noticed before. Um, when they were kind of like cutting it through, like what all the women were doing, they were all reading the newspaper. They were all reading something like very specific to what they like. Like Lynette was listening to, no, she wasn't listening to anything. She was reading. Guys, I'm so sorry. I have no brain cells today. She was reading the business section. Gabby was reading the fashion section. Um, who's left? Brie was reading. Did I say Brie already? <laughs> no. <laughs> Brie was reading like the garden section or something. That's so Brie. And Susan was reading front page news. That's so Susan. Yeah. And because they're reading the newspaper, they realize what day of the week it is. What day is it? And Susan looks at her calendar and it was the day that Mary Alice was supposed to have a dinner. So they were reminded to mourn their best friend on this day. In the flashback where she's remembering them making the plans for the dinner party. Mary Alice says, Paul never likes to have people over. And it's just a, a great little piece of how suspicious this man is. And he just wants to look suspicious so bad. Like he doesn't do anything to make himself look innocent. Mission accomplished, Paul and Young. That's coming from a Paul Young sympathizer. Yeah. I'm like, apologist, on. if you will. I'm an apologist, yes. So <sighs> then we have a little, after the little flashback, Susan goes over to Lynette's and she goes, the dinner. And Lynette's like, I know. They all hang out um, in front of their mailboxes talking about what they're going to do. And one of them says, oh, seven people, three couples and Susan. <laughs> I thought that was, that whole scene was actually full of drags because Lynette said, well, usually when the host dies, that means the party's off. I, yeah. I was like, like, be a little, actually, I'm not mad when Lynette says it. Yeah, Lynette can say whatever she wants. She can say whatever. She can say and do whatever she wants. But yeah, they dragged a little bit. This was like the era of dragging single people. <laughs> That's so true. Everybody's worth male and female at this point in time was like, you are defined by whether or not you are in a relationship. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm rewatching sex in the city too, which also I would be very surprised if Mark Cherry didn't lightly base these women on sex in the city. Wait. Yeah. Gabby, Gabby slash Edie is Samantha. Carrie is Susan. Bree Charlotte. Miranda Lynette. Oh my yeah. God. That gives me a chill. I know. They're the new, they're like, if those women moved out of New York city and onto the lane, it, that's just the situation. That's who they would be. That's actually another fan fiction I'm working on. <laughs> the multiverse. 
<laughs> the, the Mark Cherry multiverse. I'm like, wait, why are you the same? Um, <laughs> but yeah, like it's in, they just have very similar dynamics, like being like four women. But in Sex in the City, like the episode I want, like all they talk about every episode is, I'm single, I'm going to throw up and die. I'm yeah, isn't that so toxic? Yeah. It was the early 2000s. That's why I like shows like that, because I like a little toxicity. Um, but then Susan is like, no, I'm going to invite Mike. Cause Mike like walks by as they're discussing. Oh, I was trying to look so respectfully. No, Mike Delvino looks amazing in this episode. He looks, I don't know good. when in between episode one, two, and then into episode three. I don't know if he was going to the gym more. I don't know if he got some work done because he looks smashing darling you look smashing whatever he did it was working it was working you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna invite mike to the dinner party mike delfino are you available on Saturday night? <laughs> but i just think it's so funny because in the last episode one of the first lines the last lines we get they're at the vet and she goes susan knew that right now all Mike Delfino needed was a friend. And then this is the very next episode is like the first episode where they're like showing interest in each other, like for real. It's because she's Carrie. She is so Carrie. She's Carrie coded. Yeah. Susan Meyer is Carrie Bradshaw coded. She is. Like if you really, all of our listeners, I, I know you're watching the show along with us. Also watch Sex in the City and you'll see everything. You'll see Points were made. Miranda, not Miranda for men just like that. We don't like her. But Miranda and Lynette would be best friends. Or I, I mean, they're so alike. I like to think that they would stand together. Yeah. Yeah, so actually in my fan fiction, a major plot point is mm -hmm. that um, when Lynette goes back to work, she meets Miranda there. And Miranda tells her um, that that Tom is taking advantage of her. Um, <laughs> hang on, I'm, I'm thinking. Tom is taking advantage of the fact that she's a woman and doesn't want her to be the breadwinner because Tom has no self-esteem. And so Lynette is like, no, Miranda, like that's ridiculous. And Miranda starts telling Lynette about Steve. <laughs> and that's when things go really downhill. Half of this podcast is just us creating new scenarios for these characters <laughs> and incorporating the multiverse. Yeah. Yeah, Tom and Steve are very each other coded too. Like Steve's like, I'm a bartender and I'm kind of a loser. And Tom is like, I work all night, I work all day, but I'm still a loser, I have to pay. That's <sighs> Yeah, a little bit. I think Tom is less losery. Yeah, for sure. Um, so then, wait, ah, oh, wait. Oh, so then we get to all of the the women inviting their significant others to this yes. desk. All of them are whining about it, except for Mike. All of them are like, and you and you go. Carlos is like, I have to work late. Tom is like, I'm tired. Who's the other one? Rex is just Rex. And Mike is like, wow, that sounds amazing. I'd love to go. Again, more points for Mike Delfino. Um, 
My note for this sort of montage of the women asking their husbands about the dinner party is Lynette lives in a pigsty. Oh my God. The attention to detail in her house is immaculate. It looks horrible, <laughs> which is exactly how it needs to work. Um, but like, she looked so tired and Tom was being a jerk. My jaw dropped when he said, do you remember what it's like to work a 60 hour work week? <laughs> he I said know. that with his whole chest. He did. My note for that is just Tom Scavo exclamation point. He's tired, frowny face. <laughs> and then I wrote disposable rent a video. Like this show, there was two things he said in that scene that actually like aged the show a little bit in which he said, let's rent a video and stay home. And can you develop this disposable camera? Oh, I didn't even catch that. I know there's, I'm catching so many things just like really like intently watching and taking notes that I've never noticed before. Yeah. The, and it, it really isn't that long ago when you think about it. Yeah. Only 20 years. Yeah. It's not like the seventies. But do you know what's sick when we were born 20 years prior was the seventies. That's actually not braining in my brain, but thank you. I know. Yeah. It like I, whenever I think about the passage of time, it really sounds like I'm on weed. Christy, uh, let me tell you, if you don't want time to exist, that is what you do. You take a little edible, you take a little too much. You will not know time for at least two hours. Maybe, maybe I have to have to take weed then. I really don't want to. Take weed. <laughs> um, my next note is just Rex stupid. All the men are trash and none of them say yes. Yeah, my note is the husbands being so averse to a simple dinner party is insane. They act like it's the end of the world. You're gonna like have you dinner with your friends. Walking across the street. Yeah. Relax. Like, them all interact. I think what we found was missing in the last episode was there wasn't enough interaction with like the core women because this one they were together like just enough, but they still had their own storylines going on. Where I liked this episode so much more. Right. I actually had a note about that. Yeah. I'll, I'll get to later um, mm -hmm. because it happens during the the dinner party. But yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Um. So because they're all going to this dinner party, which is just simply across the street. Julie. <laughs> Julie. Julie. Julie needs to go stay with her dad, Carl. It's also really crazy of Mark Cherry to write a Carlos and a Carl. I thought that too. Um, is like writing 101. <laughs> you don't yeah. Characters. Yeah. Our writing professor in college would have his head. No, she'd freak out. Maybe this is why we never learned this. <laughs> um but yeah it's carl's debut he he is he is number one misogynist desperate houseman of this episode desperate houseman he is Close. public enemy number one yeah Carl. i'm such a hater because i actually wrote down here he called her petulant big word for carl i hate him <laughs> See, I, I, he's one of those that I can't hate. I hate him now. I know how I feel about him later. Yeah. But in this moment, at this point in time, which doesn't exist, yeah. I hate him. He's so bad. And he brings along his little 
his little uh, secretary girlfriend, Brandy. I Brandy. Love Brandy, like, of course. And Brandy just, like, throws a soda can. And <laughs> Susan picks it up and throws it at the car. Mike's just watching. When Susan kicked the can and it landed in front of Bongo, I thought <laughs> the dog was going to eat it again. <laughs> and I've seen this show. But in my head, I went... <gasps> Oh no! Susan's going out of her way to kill Bongo. <laughs> that's an that's an entirely separate. Like that's the spinoff is um, Susan trying all these different methods to kill Bongo. <laughs> she has a little Colleen Ballinger in her. <laughs> Summer, at this point, you need to start a Wattpad. Wattpad. <laughs> Wattpad. <laughs> you need to start a corresponding <laughs> Wattpad. <laughs> Wet pad is taking me out. Wet pad. Wet pad sounds like something Bongo would go on. <laughs> I have always called it Wet pad. <laughs> anyway, but this scene with with Carl and Susan and Brandy. Um, I don't know if you, if listeners will care about this, but my, my pilot that I've been like writing and rewriting for the last year, the scene, I have like one scene in particular that I, as I was writing it, Hey, when the writer's strike is over, if anyone's interested, Mark, I like thought about this scene with, with Carl and Brandy and, and Susan. Cause it's just so iconic in my mind. Yes. And that like one character in particular, like, that is Carl to me. It is honestly a great scene. Mm-hmm. I think this whole episode does have some really good dialogue. Yeah. Um, but I mean, just everything about this scene yes. is pretty perfect from a writing standpoint. There's also more like action in this in this episode, which I think we were lacking. Yes. Yes. For it sure. It's just too much like talking and therapist stuff. And this one, there's more like like physical comedy. Right. Um. So then we get to Paul. And, and Zach, I wrote Zach freaks me out. He's giving, freaks me out more than he usually did this early on. Yes. Yes. Me too. Like, I don't know. I don't know. He, he's like, he's giving school shooter. I would, Christy, I thought the same exact thing. Like they're all so lucky that they still have the assault weapons ban in 2004. Yeah. I I mean, Zach. Well, I, I don't want to jump the gun, no pun intended, but, like, Zach finds the revolver. He he really seemed like he would. No, it was, for, it was like, actually, like, making me, like, squirmy. Yeah. Um, but when they're at the table and Zach is like, why won't you just put mommy in your paper that she's dead? <laughs> and Paul is like, no, she did this to herself. I don't care. I was like, oh, again, I don't think I've ever paid attention to that scene before. Right. Because it's new to me. Right. Um, One thought that I had while watching this scene is like, I know that he's not, but Paul looks so much like the dad from Phil of the Future. Yes. That is like a thing. Yeah. Especially in that scene. And I went to go uh, cross-reference because I remembered that he wasn't the same guy, but they do look so similar. And if you look at a picture of, um, I think Craig Anton is the other mm-hmm. actor. If you look at a picture of him now, he looks nothing like Mark Moses. Really? Um, 
but look at, you know, younger pictures of them. I honestly think they're so interchangeable. And how iconic would it have been if Paul Young was Lloyd Diffie? <laughs> well, I think the shows were on at the same time. They must have crossed paths. Cross paths. I'm never going to Tonga again. <laughs> they must have crossed paths at some point because they were both working for Disney at the same time. Like they oh. must have met like an upfront... I hope, well, I, I, I want to say, I wish there was a picture of them, but I couldn't find anything of them together. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to ask when we, when we get Mark Moses on the podcast, which actually speaking of Phil of the future, that brings me to my next point, because the next scene is Gabby and John making out at the house, even though in the last episode, there's a lot of plot holes between episode two and episode three. I'm not going to. Yeah, Just didn't know what was going on at that point in time in the writer's room. But episode two, Gabby's like, you can never come over again. Like, this has to happen at your house. Right. Episode three, she invites him over. So well, she can't help herself. They're making out at his at her house. And there's a little girl watching. <laughs> and I said, finally, somebody's done. Somebody sees. Somebody is on the same wavelength here. And for some reason, I feel like... We never see this girl again after this episode, but in my heart, that's Martha Huber as a child. I think Martha Huber took Phil Diffie's... <laughs> took Phil Duffy... Is it Duffy? Diffie. Phil Diffie's time machine. That's why it was broken in Phil of the Future. And went back and got herself as a child to terrorize Gabby and John. She really did. My note for this scene is the Girl Scout is a jump scare. She is. <laughs> She's like Darla in Finding Nemo. Yes. I really just thought that she was there to like sell cookies because I haven't seen this episode in a long time. Um, I remembered her right away. But okay, there is something wrong with her because she's just standing outside this woman's house for no reason. You know what? Maybe... <laughs> Martha Hoover, that is her. And then when she grew up, she invented a time machine to go back to Wisteria Lane and crack all the cases because she observed as a child. Because she's a woman in STEM. Because she's a woman in STEM. That, that Gabby and John, that triggered her, her whole life, her whole adolescence. She made no friends, did not know how to socialize, built a time machine to come back to Wisteria Lane as an adult and be like, I know what I, I know what you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, and think about it. Martha Huber is not in this episode. Yeah. As an adult. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like there's, there has to be some connection and I'm going to, one day we will ask Mark Cherry. We have to write a list of all the things we have to ask him about. He's oh. going to be like, um, it's not deep. We're going to be like, what do you mean? We got stacks of notes. We have for this man. Um, so yeah, somebody's finally dialed in. Somebody finally notices. Like it was about time. <sighs> in the next scene, we see Lynette and Susan talking, and then Lynette calls Tom out on the picture of him with his sombrero, and he's got a cigar, mm -hmm. drinking margaritas, and she's right. So she decides that Tom is going to stay home and babysit the kids while she goes to the dinner party. And just the way that he was acting, the way he was whining, I wrote that he is her fifth child. 
No, he is. And she was so right to be, but also calling like, those are your children. You don't, if it's the dad's taking care of them, why is he babysitting? That's, That's your a great job. point. Oh, that is babysitting the kids. He you knew exactly what he signed up for. Yeah. What you expect? She's gonna get home and you're gonna. He's, she's gonna give you twenty dollars and go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's like, hilarious. You need to ride home? No, you're not babysitting. <laughs> and he thinks he's gonna have an easy little night. Also, I don't know if this was just Mandela effect, but I swear that there was a scene of. Tom at the house when the kids are like running around being crazy and he's like oh because we don't actually see him babysitting the kids wait you're right I was very surprised I thought we did it just like later cuts to him being like ah they were terrible but I would have liked to see him struggle I do have a vague recollection of seeing him struggle so I know what you mean maybe that's later maybe but I don't know. I was surprised that they didn't like do anything. Maybe it was left on the cutting room floor. Mark Cherry, if you want to send us unseen footage for us to review for bonus episodes on our Patreon, send them our way. I'll give you my address. She really will. Um, so then we get back to um, <laughs> little Martha Huber and <laughs> Gabby's looking all over for this, for this broad. And finds her with Carlos shaking Carlos's hand they're I wrote their besties already and she's <laughs> freaking out she's freaking out and yeah is allegedly Ashley but we know it is Martha Huber actually the spinoff series is called allegedly Ashley um and she looks like she's straight out of the shining she does I wonder what she's doing right now the actress yeah we have to find her I hope she's well I I did write that like I was sort of making fun of this kid, but then I realized I think I looked like that too. This is such a funny scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, the con- I mean, it's just a a. <laughs> Am I high? <laughs> it's just comically genius. Little Martha Huber, like she's talking and she just goes. <laughs> Yeah, it's the eyes. It's it's yeah. the look you had in your eyes when we first recorded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like the dead in the eyes look. But no, she's like staring her down. She's like, yeah. She there's a little anger, a, a little flicker of anger back there. Yeah, like a rabid animal. Yeah, tofu. Speaking of animals. Oh my god. Is he okay? Yeah, he's eating this piece of plastic. <sighs> I hate he's when they do that. Good, I think he's well fed. I know. So is she. Um, She's always eating plastic. No, it's so annoying. I had to take a huge piece of plastic, like, fully out of his mouth once. It's bad. Um, But, yeah, no, the scene was so funny. And I just love how she barely has any lines, but her face just says so much. Yeah. She's shy. She's like, no, she's just evil. And she's going to turn into um, a Wisteria Lane terrorist one day. Public enemy number two. Oh, my God. If they ever revived the show, it should be like Ashley. Allegedly Ashley. Mark Terry, we have a pitch for you. <laughs> the scenes are also going a lot quicker. Like they're shorter scenes and yeah. there are more of them. Yes. Yeah. We definitely got more story too. 
Like I was surprised how fast it ended again, because I think I was like intently watching. Um, so then we get back to scary Zach when he finds Mary Alice's pistol. And I think that was just a very short scene, but it really freaked me out. I didn't like him finding that gun. He makes my bones feel slimy. No, he's terrifying. We need to get him on. (laughs) He's terrifying. Let's get him into your apartment. Yeah, we need to get him on the podcast because he literally, he freaks me out so much. Yeah. Yeah, how does he manage to have so much going on, but also absolutely nothing at the same time? He should have won an Emmy for this, I think. Agreed. Um, So then we go to the scene with Rex and Brie. She did say previously, I don't think I put this in my notes, but that she wanted to tell everybody that they were taking tennis lessons and not in um, therapy. Right. So Rex is saying, like, we need, I want to do solo sessions so I can talk to Dr. Also, I think in our last episode, I was calling him Dr. Goldfarb. It's oh, yeah. Goldfine. It's not Dr. Goldfarb. I wasn't saying that as a joke. Like, that's what it, that's, that's I think I Goldfarb it. sounds better. It does. It sounds a little, it's kitschy. Okay, so fine. He's Dr. Goldfarb now for us. <laughs> so he tells Goldfarb, he's like, I want to have solo sessions. And Bree's like, I'm a perfect person. I have nothing to say. And I was like, period, point blank. You're she right. said, I don't have any personal issues. Yeah. No, you don't, queen. No, no you, you don't. don't do a single one. And then she gets up, walks out with the tennis racket. <laughs> oh, I and just love that. Brie, for, for how self-aware she is, she is absolutely not self-aware. And that's what I love about her. Yeah, like she is so self-aware that she boomerangs back and she has no idea what's going on right right when you go too far one way and then you come right back the other yeah she was trying to do a 180 she did a 360 as she should as she should i'm like like on yeah i got nothing to say to you brie because you're right then we come to the point where gabby starts to bribe little ashley so she starts with a cute little hawaiian doll but ashley is not pleased with just a doll i think you're right about the martha huber thing because yeah. Miss Ashley says, I want a, <laughs> I want a bike. And she goes, I want a bike. <laughs> also, I love, I love Gabby giving her like a little Hawaiian doll. I love the diversity there. Yeah. It's I so. I thought that was interesting in 2004. It's Moana coded. Yeah. She was like, take this like diverse cultural doll and learn about its culture. So Ashley goes, I want a bike. <laughs> give me a butt or in her transatlantic child accent (laughs) excuse me ma'am i think i'd like a bike instead so gabby's like okay well i guess i'll teach her how to ride a bike oh and she also prefaces which when she's like people love to kiss everybody (laughs) and this girl's not buying it she's dialed in she's smart she knows what's going on so Paul and Zach are in the dark talking about the revolver. I think it's crazy that nobody thought to turn on a light. Uh, Again, this is just more proof of like Paul wanting to seem strange and suspicious. And then the doorbell rings. The way that Zach opens the door gave me the heebie-jeebies because his face is like shrouded in shadow and he only opens the door to about here. And then we see Bree on the other side of the door. And he has the pistol behind his back. Because he was threatening to shoot his father, basically, in so many words. Like, this 
child is a sociopath. And I did not realize how they showed us so early on that he was cuckoo crazy because we were just feeling bad for him because his mom just died. Um, so Bree is just like, hi. And it's so funny because they're having this creepy, like really like bad scene. Like obviously their relationship is ruined after Mary Alice died. And then Bree's like, hi, want to give you a dinner party that your wife was supposed to host before she killed herself? <laughs> and Paul's like, no, never. We're not going to that. I'm never speaking to you people again. And then Zach's like, Thank you for remembering my mommy. Yeah, he he like does just enough to maintain an air of innocence about him. Yeah. But then he'll do something completely out of left field in the next scene. Or just a look that he'll have on his face. Like this kid has not smiled once. Not no. that he has any reason to. But <laughs> I find it jarring when somebody doesn't smile. Except for Professor Snape. Anyway, so then we, <laughs> so, um, so oh, my I next think... note is, my next note is Gabby gets the little turd a bike and this is her moment of desperation. Yeah. Like she fully, she's like, okay, you have a bike. Goodbye. And then, um, and then Ashley Martha Hoover is like, um, <laughs> miss, miss adulterous. I don't know how to ride a bike. <laughs> you gotta teach me. And Gabby's like, oh, maybe one day. And she goes, no. She wants to learn right now. Right now. So Gabby's like, damn, okay. <laughs> and Gabby's in her cute little heels. She's like running down the block. I love suffering. She needed to casually wear heels all the time. Like, why? Yeah. Why would you do that? She's so inspiring. So then we get to Susan and she's sitting there looking at all of her family photos and she just starts to see herself in a new light because she's like, I've cut Carl out of all these pictures. To be honest, if my mom cut my dad out of all her photos, I'd be kind of mad. <laughs> I I don't think Julie does a lot of looking at that photo album. I guess not, but it's like, those are memories. And she, she so perfectly cut him out. Yeah. She made a perfect out. circle on his face. Perfect circle in every single one. I was like, you're The so crazy good. thing is that she only removed his face, but like left his body in the pictures. Yeah, at least <laughs> cut him out of the whole thing. Yeah, otherwise he just is giving headless horsemen and it's really creepy. Next up for Susan is confronting Carl and saying that she needs an apology. And Carl turns into a master gaslighter because he never apologizes. Instead, he says, the heart wants what it wants. The heart wants what it wants. And that's all he can think to say. Also which... makes sense that Susan right now is in a towel. Did you say that? Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to get to that. But okay. yeah, so Susan is in just a towel and she rushes out. Because Carl goes to his car roll. <laughs> and as he's leaving, he takes Susan's towel with him, leaving her completely exposed for all of Wisteria Lane to see. How does he not notice that there's a towel flying out his, his oh, front seat? I think he probably noticed and like didn't care or thought or it was funny. Or didn't see in his rear view mirror that she was butt naked on the street. I wrote, this is a nightmare for her but this is her moment of desperation yeah i 
I love Susan again. Like, I think she's, like, annoying in the first two episodes. I don't think they had found a stride with her yet. Right. Because this is so peak, like, quirky, a little <laughs> off, but funny Susan. Like, lovable. Yes, yes. Like, I really loved her in this episode. And I'm also a Terry Hatcher stan. So when she's running around her house, she's locked out somehow, can't get through her windows. And yeah. Like, she takes refuge in the shrub attached to her house mm -hmm. and who comes along but the man with impeccable timing Nicholas Delfino Mike Delfino's literally staring out his window the whole time and he sees <laughs> and he's like oh, I have to go I have to go there <laughs> like what is that timing god I but love him so much this is the first time you really see them like connect because the first two episodes it's it's Susan like chasing after him and he's like I'm new to the neighborhood I'm just a plumber but this I'm one just like, a plumber with a dog. I'm just a plumber with a dog and a dead wife. <laughs> and um, a dream. Shane? <laughs> um, but yeah, so he catches Susan naked in the shrubs. And he's so sweet and cute about it. He just like looks away and starts giggling. He's giggling, kicking his feet. He makes me giggle and kick my feet. Same. Like, I'm, I love him. Like, the two of them is why I think the first time I watched this, I burned through this first season. Because I was right. like, I need to know when they get together. Um, so then there's, like, a night. So he's like, I got your message about the party. I'd love to come. And then they just immediately cut to them walking up to the party, which I thought was a good transition. Yes. And... At the dinner party, I noted how strange it was to see the husbands interact for the first time because we see Carlos starting to grill Rex about tennis lessons. I wrote Rex and Carlos together as the multiverse of madness. It is. It feels incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it feels wrong. And then Rex comes out with... We're, we're not taking tennis lessons. We're in marriage counseling. And then Brie turns like a Stepford wife. It's just, you are disrespecting Brie. <laughs> All she asks, though, her one request is to keep this private. She's going to therapy. She, he's sleeping on the couch. All she wanted from him was to not say anything to their friends. A little discretion. Oh, just a little bit. And it's so early on that, like, that's so fair. And he couldn't even do that. No, of course he couldn't. Because who does Rex only think of? Oh, yeah. Rex. Himself. <laughs> I, hey, I absolutely detest him. Like, there, he does not have one good redeemable quality. And it doesn't get better because even though we cut to see... Zach asleep on the couch in his house and like Paul creeping around. When we come back to the dinner party. It's <sighs> but okay. Back to Paul and Zach though. Again, this is, a, I don't think I've ever like really paid attention to their scenes. Like when he's Zach has like, there's a bunch of sleeping pills next to him. So he's been drugged. And then um, Paul is watching the news. And the only mention we get of his creepy chest is that it was pulled out of the river. And he's like, <laughs> he's stewing he's stewing and it's like bro like once again should have left it in the pool 
You would have been. Yeah, he's stupid. He brought it upon himself. He's stupid, amazing, but stupid. A sweet angel, but he's a good right now. You sweet, stupid boy. You sweet, stupid boy. (laughs) When Mark Moses listens to this podcast, he's going to be so shocked of how big of a Paul Young stan I am. (laughs) He's going to say, I have one fan, and that's her. (laughs) If Paul Young has 100 fans, I'm (laughs) one. Paul Young has one fan, it's me. It is you. Paul Young has no fans, I'm dead. Um, so then we get back to the, the dinner and it's uncomfy. It's so uncomfy. Susan breaks the ice by talking about how everybody has something humiliating. And Lynette explains <laughs> that she and Tom were escorted out of Disneyland because things got a little out of hand on Mr. Toad's wild ride. Are you kidding me? I will never look at that ride the same way again. I was really... I I was shocked by Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. If any of you have been on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, and I, I looked at our analytics and a lot of our listeners are in the Los Angeles area, so I'm sure you all have. Why that ride? Because it's a dark ride. But it's like, third, but like at what point were they hooked? When, when they're, they're in hell? When you're going zigzagging around? Maybe that's another one of Tom's kinks. I am starting to not trust him around children. <laughs> Christy, give me one second. I have to plug in my computer. Okay. I'm like, st- I'm still stuck on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Where else would you expect them to do it? I don't know. Like Pirates of the Caribbean. What? During the first drop? Like after the first drop. Cause it's a long ride That's at the end true. of the night. You can get your own car or boat. That's trying true. to think of other rides that were around at that time. Like Mr. Toad was built in the fifties. Yeah. Like that everything's cardboard in that ride. It's not that dark. Haunted Mansion. Always breaks down. Yeah, they have a minute when it's breaking <laughs> down. That's why it's always broken down. Oh no. Mountain. How do you do? Mighty pleasant greeting. How do you do? Say it when you mean. How I'm do you do? That again in a ride. I'm sick. It's it's gone. This is so sick and twisted. Oh, sick and twisted. Okay. So then Bree says something really iconic. <laughs> may I? You may. <laughs> because I laughed out loud. Do it in your best Bree impression. <laughs> Staring right at the camera. Rex cries after he ejaculates. I think it's more. Rex cries after he ejaculates. Okay, now do it with a little bit more, like, um, grit. Rex cries after he ejaculates. (laughs) Rex cries after he ejaculates. She was so out of pocket for that. Oh my god, she... She should have been. Like, this was her moment. No, because that. silence fell over the room. I had secondhand embarrassment. I almost couldn't continue watching. I, it is just amazing. Because this is when she really starts to unravel. Yeah. And it's like, Rex, what do you, all you do is disrespect her. So he can do the same thing. She can do the same thing. That's true. And all he can think to do is storm out 
okay, go whine, go get lost into the night. He had nothing to, he had nothing to read or like he should have retorted with Brie makes perfect toast. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect golden brown toast. It makes me sick. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to tell. Brie's five-star meals every day are nauseating. (laughs) Brie tried to kill me at Saddle Ranch (laughs) Chop House. Brie's an attempted murderer. Like, he could have said that at least. But no, he just, he stomps out like a little boy. And then after Mike and Susan are walking back, he he's walking Susan back to her house like a perfect gentleman. Yes. And they're like, wow, that was awkward. That was so bad. And then they're like kind of bonding. And I just like, I like, you can just feel their love. Mm-hmm. I fall a little bit more in love with him. So happy. Every time. Yeah. Yeah. Interact. Yeah. They deserve it. Yeah. And then Susan was like, thank you for being a perfect gentleman today. And he goes, I wasn't being a perfect gentleman. I was like, oh my God. And he was like, wow. I really love how much he loves her off the bat. Like the way they, the way their early like courtship scenes are written are peak tech tv like it's a peak like will they won't they yes kind of thing like you just you don't get like tv couples that you're like dying for them to get together anymore that's so true i actually can't remember the last tv couple that i was really rooting for maybe in 2017 on like great news or something but that show was so short-lived yeah and nobody else watched it i was the only viewer because new shows are not they don't have like 22 episode seasons anymore. They don't have the time. So they, they do have the time. They just prefer to do these like short mini episodes. This is one of the reasons why the writers are striking. And then you don't get like just filler episodes like this. Like every episode has to like fully push the story. Right. And you would never get something fun, just like a dinner party. Or that's what I mean. Like, if you don't have the room for 22 episodes, how can you have those moments of filler, of fluff, of the things that, like, really make you say awe that don't necessarily push forward the story, but that make you fall in love with these couples? Yeah. And you just, like, just slow it down a little bit. We just don't do that anymore. And we just need to bring it back. Yeah. So that's, like, these are our first moments of Mike and Susan. And it's just, like... I'm giggling, kicking my feet every time they're on screen together. Like, I'm so excited. I just want to watch their scenes. Yeah, I would watch a compilation of just them. By the way, when we start our Patreon, we're going to watch Terry Hatcher, James Denton's Christmas movie on there. So please subscribe. So we see Tom get his just desserts. (laughs) Yeah, he was taking big, big nap. Because his terrible children were just running around all night. And he goes, you gave him sugar. Wait, wait, wait. You, you, was it poured up Preston? I don't know. (laughs) One of the kids told me that you gave them sugar, but I forget who it was. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then actually in the next scene, we have almost the complete opposite of that, where Carlos says something real frightening. (laughs) I was shaking in my boots. <laughs> I thought he was going to come for me. I thought he was going to jump out of my 4K television. 
Oh my god. Um, yeah. <laughs> he basically threatened death. <laughs> so basically, yeah, Tom and Lynette, she comes home and he's like, oh, they're just like a cute normal couple. Carlos is like, oh, Bree is a horrible woman. If she ever talked to me like that, well, she'll have another thing coming to her. <laughs> Why do you sound like, um, <laughs> you sound like <laughs> Helen Hunt with like something on her throat. <laughs> She's like lifting 200 pound weights. <laughs> um, but you can see Gabby's like, she, like, she's just moisturizing her legs and she's like, okay. Like she's freaking out. She, she knows that she is with a dangerous man yeah like she needs to get out of there stat run She's to john's house woman's shelter like <laughs> so scary i wrote early carlos um makes me sick do not speak on women yeah yeah and he was so mean about brie i was like shut up keep her name out of your mouth keep my wife's name <laughs> out I was so mad. I wish Will Smith was canonically living on Mysteria Lane. Um, then I have Rex moving out. Yes, and Bree yeah. is taking the liberty of packing his suitcase, which is, of course, a very kind gesture. She even says that she's going to pack his swimsuit because swimming relaxes him, so she's thoughtful. Mm -hmm. And Bree talks about how they started dating in college. I was going to ask you, where do you think they went to school? They give me like Vassar vibes. Yeah. <laughs> I wrote Notre Dame, but I think you're right with Vassar. Vassar, Notre Dame, like one of those kind of places. Was Vassar all women? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know. We went to okay, well, it's, it's giving like, um... wait, sorry. I just lost my train of thought. Okay, so it's it's giving like, I don't know what to like say. Like one of those I, really I, good uppity schools that's not an Ivy League. Yes, yes. You know, like, I'm rich. I paid to be here. Like that kind of school. Bree's like, I really don't understand why you're moving out. And he goes, I couldn't even pack my own suitcase. Like he's such an ingrate. And okay, to that end, asking you about the colleges. Case. What? I'm sorry. He just doesn't even know how to pack a suitcase. No, she's doing. He has no life work. skills. Not one. So then I wrote down Brandy, Susan Alliance. Susan fully was ready to move on without an apology because she had met Mike Shelfino. So now she has something to live for. And <laughs> usually I would not advise living for a man. But when Mike Delfino moves on to the lane, all bets are off. Susan's whole existence is about being validated by men, which I do think is toxic. But at the same time, when that man is Mike Delfino, like you said, all bets are off. Yeah. Totally approved by me. I will say I was like, oh, okay. Like she did some shadow work. She did. And she's gotten past her anger. Not exactly but she got the apology that she wanted. Yeah, and Brandy was like, Mrs. Mayor, I'm really sorry, but the only reason why I pursued Carl was because 
I thought your marriage was over. And I really liked that because I liked that they were putting, like, they were taking the blame off of Brandy. Yeah. I just had no idea. She. Yeah. Just, she thought it was done. So she's just a dumb woman. She. (laughs) Slayed. Slay. Okay, what's next? So, um, after Brandy and Susan. Paris, thank you so much for joining us. (laughs) Everybody. Thank you, Christy. Thank you, Summer, for having me on. Um, so. No, that's. Then, I, I can't um, handle that. We get to Tom and Lynette and we really see them just like being in love and dancing and having a really good time with their family. My note for this is, this is such a sweet moment here. I wish it could last. <laughs> I just wrote Tom Scavo's stan account. Yeah. I think the writers were like, we, after the pilot, they're like, all right, episode two, we're not putting Tom in. We need to figure out what to do with him. We can't have every single husband be toxic. Yeah. We can't. One of them has to be good. So he's no longer a baby, baby making machine. He like actually <laughs> loves his wife. He's just a golden retriever he's husband. He really is. Dream golden retriever energy. And not just because he's blonde. And I think he does love his kids, even if he can't name all of them. (laughs) He's like, wait, we have a daughter. (laughs) Like when he's at his... (laughs) When he's at his work functions, drinking margaritas and wearing big sombreros, he's showing... He's like, this is Peter, this is Marka, and this is Presto. Presto is taking me out. <laughs> but I think he does care. I think he likes them. For whatever reason, they're all redheads, even though Tom and Lynette are blonde. <laughs> yeah. well, Lynette, you are explaining to the world. <laughs> and there's there's actually like nobody else on the lane that has red hair until Catherine comes along. Yeah, so like I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never know. I was going to do that, but I, I couldn't make like two reference, like three references of pop culture in a row like that. No, you could. I would. What was I going to say? I don't know. I think the next scene is what I would call Bree's moment of desperation because she goes back to the marriage counselor in a tizzy. She's frantic. She's like, she's sweating bullets. She's like, let her guard down. She's like, ah, I, you need to tell me what Rex is saying. Please, I can only fix my marriage this way. And he's like, no. I do feel bad for her right here because she has no idea what to do. And the only thing she can think to do is go to this marriage counselor, Dr. Goldfinch, in the middle of the night. And he's like, do we have a session now? It's like nine o'clock at night. I don't think it's the middle <laughs> of the night because he says, I have a client waiting, Bree. Yeah, but I just figured he had, like, a late client. That doesn't make any sense. You're like... So you think it's before 5 p.m.? Yeah. I don't, because if you look at the windows in that scene, it looks dark. It looks like the sun has set. Well, it's fall. Your fall. Maybe the sunset. All this entire hour podcast is just me proving <laughs> Summer wrong. <laughs> um, Incorrect. Anyway. I also wrote that she's wearing pink because she saw Barbie. We know this now. 
Yes. Like her showing like, yes, I did see the Barbie movie. So he's going to go talk to his client to potentially fit Brie in. But that's so unfair to the original client who, you know, is probably Zach Young. Probably (laughs) is. Zach Young is like, I don't need a marriage counselor. I need just like a life counselor, please. (laughs) He's like, please, I just need answers, my mommy. And then, (laughs) and then Brie is like taking it upon herself, and she goes into the tapes. Rex's tape, amazing. And then she sees Mary Alice's tape, and she grabs that, but leave leaves Rex. Girl, you could have taken both. Yeah, it's not like. There was going to be a space in, in the yeah. shelf either way. But maybe he was like, oh, a dead woman's tape. And you would have noticed if Rex's tape was taken after she ran in and demanded to be seen. So then he comes back and he's like, I'm so sorry. Zach Young needs to come in right now. And she's like, <laughs> oh, it's okay. I got what I needed. See you tomorrow. Yeah. Right now. And she did like, that. Okay. She did that. But Dr. Goldfarb should have realized something's up if he was a good therapist, but men never are. Dr. Goldfinch is doing the best he can, but he will never be Mike no. Delfino level. He will never be in tune with women the way Mike Delfino is. He will never, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so then... Brie goes home and we cut to later in the night, all hearing a noise. They all look out their window. Paul, Paul Young is loudly nailing a for sale sign in the middle of the night. Like, why didn't you do this in the middle of the day, Paul? Like he, every morning he wakes up and says, how can I be creepy today? Right. (laughs) Right. He looks for occasions to be horrifying. Yeah. I just, he just has to. He ha- he, he's not it's really hard for me to defend this man but I'm still going to Paul Young I cannot keep defending you <laughs> like you're making it really hard for me but I'm going to keep defending you till, I, till death um, but again it, he, he reaps what he sows and he nails what he hammers slay so that's our episode. All in all, I compared to the second episode of really looking at through this with a critical lens, we could teach a college course on Desperate Housewives now, I think. Um, I thought this was a really good episode. Like, I thought it was a perfect balance of, like, having the women together, better dynamics with the husband, yeah. the multiverse of madness. Like, it was just, it was all in all. 100 out of 100. This is what I need from Desperate Housewives. Absolutely. We got some really good yes. fanfic ideas from it. So no complaints. From well, me. you better get started on those fan fiction summer. Like the people are going to start asking for them because we have a lot of listeners now. We have so many listeners. They all want to read the fanfic. And you know what? I think I'll just cancel my plans for to work on these fan fictions. Um, so follow us on Instagram. We are going to tell and TikTok. We are going to tell pod. Make sure you leave a comment. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us your moment of desperation from this week. Tell us what you're thinking of our episodes. And um, of course, let us know what you're thinking 
of the show if this is your first time watching it or if you've watched it a million times before like we have. And until next time, got anything to say? I have one thing to say. We know what you did. It makes us sick. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to Goodbye, 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 goodbye.